The following sermon by Nelson Atwood was recorded at Noble Park Evangelical Baptist Church. For more information, please visit their website at www.noblebaptist.org.au. That's www.noblebaptist.org.au. I invite you to take your Bibles this morning and go back to the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 9. There is a pink uh, sheet in your bulletin there, it's on the back side of it, and on the bottom of there is uh, the sermon text and the, the sermon notes. I got home last Sunday and my family had great joy in pointing out some of the really funny anomalies in last week's sermon notes. Apparently, I edited one of the verses off the text, and this numbering was just all over the map, and so I apologize for that, and I assure you that I have gone through this one quite carefully to make sure that it's all there the way it's supposed to be. If you find a flaw, please come and tell me. I'd I'd love to, to know where I got wrong this time. Let's read together. Just that one verse in Acts chapter 9 and verse 31. And Luke is summarizing and and drawing a bit of a line underneath that section of the book uh, in chapter 9. And this is what he says. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit it continued to increase. To give you a bit of a background, how you get from chapter 1 to that verse there, in chapter 1, Jesus prepares his disciples for their spirit-filled witness. And then in chapter 2, the spirit comes in power, and Peter preaches, and the church grows by over 3,000 people. In chapter 3, a lame man is healed, and Peter and John bear witness to Jesus And then in chapter 4, Peter and John are arrested, they're tried, they're warned, and then they're released. And then in chapters 5 and 6, we see there's opposition to the church from within. First, Ananias and Sapphira lie to God, the apostles and the church, and they are judged for their lie. And then we see how the Greek widows are being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And the apostles risk being overworked, but wisdom prevails and the deacons are appointed and again the church grows. In chapter 7 we see that Stephen is tried and then martyred for his witness to Christ. And in chapter 8 Saul leads the first persecution against the church. We see the believers are scattered while the apostles remain in Jerusalem. We saw that Samaria was evangelized by Philip, and Simon the false convert is rebuked by Peter. The Ethiopian eunuch is saved, and the gospel goes to Africa. And then in chapter 9, God deals with Saul's persecution. How does he do that? By Jesus meeting him on the Damascus road, he saves Paul and calls him to be his suffering servant and apostle to the Gentiles. And so the first persecution ends, and then we see that verse in Acts chapter 9 and verse 31. And we see there that the state of the church is enjoying or having 
peace. God chose for this time period to bless His church with peace. For a period of months or maybe even years, we don't know. But there's peace being enjoyed within the entire church. And that statement, I was originally intending to go from 931 all the way to the end. But as I began to just chew over and look at that statement and see what it had to say, I realized there's so much in there that we're just going to take one, one week to look at one verse. And the statements in our text set an example for us for what we can do to have and enjoy peace in the absence of disputes and divisions. Now, we certainly won't have peace on the level of that verse where the entire church is enjoying it, but it is possible for us to have and enjoy peace within each local church. First, we have to recognize that peace within the church is indeed a gift of God. God blesses His church with peace. Don't make any mistake, God also blesses His church with divisions and disputes and arguments because when they happen, the men of God are forced to go back to the Word to see what does the Word say and those divisions and disputes lead us to go back and see what Scripture says and clarify from the Word of God what the Scripture says that we are to believe and do. But in this case, and in lots of other cases, God blesses His church with peace. Second, we must recognize that peace within the church happens as a cooperative work involving both God and the church membership. And you can see that in the verse. It's a result of God's work in us, both individually and corporately, and our individual lives lived in response to God. And I want us to see from this text and a whole collection of other texts the state of this church that God blessed with peace, that it's being built up by God, that it's going on in the fear of the Lord, And it's going on in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I want us to see and be challenged by God the Holy Spirit to do our part towards obtaining and enjoying and maintaining peace within the church. I think we can all look back at some point in our church attendance history and remember some terrible days when the church was torn apart by divisions and disputes and dissensions. They happen. But there is some things that we can all do to help that not happen. And it is also, as I said a moment ago, it's a cooperative work. God blesses His church, but He does it in concert with His people. So let's notice first then that they were being built up by God. I'm going to read the verse again. He says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up. Now that word for build up is the same word we get elsewhere in the New Testament as edify. It means to strengthen, to encourage, to develop, to build up. Notice it's also in a passive form. They were being built up, meaning that the church was being built up by someone from outside of it. It reminds us of what we considered last week, that while we may do the work of ministry... It is God that builds up. You remember the verse. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6. Paul says that he planted, Apollos watered, but God caused the growth. But notice, 
God did not cause the growth of the church without Paul's planting and without Apollos' watering. All three of those were involved in the building up of the church. And when we look through the New Testament, we can see that the building up of the church is a cooperative effort. God uses and God works through each and all of us to build up His church. Take note of what the Scriptures say about it. In Romans 14 and verse 19, Paul, in writing in the context of the practices where one eats or drinks, may cause another to stumble. So, in other words, what they were eating and drinking had the possibility of causing other brothers and sisters to stumble. And he urges us, as believers, to pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. So our attitude towards one another must be that of building each other up, not carelessly stumbling or tearing one another down. It's the attitude that's willing to put aside one's own preferences for the sake of the other. Now, don't mistake preferences for biblical truth or biblical practices. We don't put aside truth and we don't put aside biblical practices. But in in all those things, there's often preferences that can be put aside in preferring one before ourselves. So building each other up, edifying one another begins with an attitude toward each other of coming together to build one another up. In 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 1, Paul says that knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. Paul is describing our motive in building each other up, and it's love. Love that is sacrificial, love that looks to benefit others, love that puts the others first, not ourselves, not our agenda. In fact, As we look at other texts, this one element of love is absolutely crucial. For Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, and you know this passage well, he says, If I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I'm becoming a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. So there's an attitude there of putting aside my preferences and with a goal, a desire in my heart to build the other one up. And the motive behind it is love that longs to see the others benefit and not ourselves. But you know what? Building each other up requires specific actions in practices in addition to those attitudes. Notice that building up the church requires both builders and materials. So Paul says in Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12, that he, that's Christ, gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. They're the builders Christ gave. Why did our Lord Jesus Christ give us those ministry gifts? Well, he says the the answer to the question in verse 12. He says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. The church was never designed for a small group of people to do all the work of building up the church and the rest to receive all that work. The church was designed and given those ministry gifts so that the church could all be built up and all of us together could be equipped so that we could all do the work of ministry. 
In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul writes, comparing speaking in tongues to preaching, and he says this in verse 3, the one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. So prophesying or preaching is what it means, is not merely to inform us, or far worse, to leave us in awe of the preacher's oratory skills. Preaching, teaching ministry is to build up, to exhort, to encourage, to console. Sitting under the preaching of God's Word must never become like going to a theater production. You know, you go to a... a uh, Heather, when we were dating, uh, she loves Phantom of the Opera and the music of it. And so she bought tickets for us, and I found myself sitting... Uh, she was in this beautiful gown, and I'm in like a suit. And we were in the second row, left of center. I got close enough to the singer of the Phantom to see him sweating as he was singing. And I was amazed. The music was fantastic. The props were amazing. I watched that whole production. But listen, sitting under the preaching of God's Word must never become like watching a theater production where we enjoy the storyline... We're moved by the beautiful music. We marvel at the props and the costumes and the sets, but we leave utterly unchanged. In the old days, churchgoers would leave asking each other, how did you get on under the sermon? In other words, how did you and your soul fare under the preaching of the Word of God? What effect has the sermon had on you and your life? And today we ask questions like, did you like the sermon? Did you like the preaching? Pardon me, this is a little personal, but it, perhaps if preachers were less concerned with being liked and more concerned with being sharpened tools in God's hands, faithfully proclaiming what God would have us to say, we would see more building up in the churches and less just smoothing egos. But then I might be a radical, so... You never know. Preaching the word of God is to build us up, to exhort us, to encourage, to stir up each other so that we're all together moved to love God and love each other more. So that together we're moved to strive to be spotless and blameless, to strive to live in godly conduct and holiness. Acts 9 verse 31, the church was enjoying peace as a gift from God and was being built up by God who causes the growth as the preachers and teachers and elders and evangelists taught God's word to the church. Remember back in Acts 2.42, describing that early church, this is what they said. Luke says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And I have no doubt in my mind that those early churches established all over Galilee and Samaria and Judea there, that those churches functioned just like Jewish synagogues which included the reading, the teaching, and the expounding of Scripture. But the question goes, how? How does God build up the church through the ministry of the Word? I'll give it to you like this. When the Spirit of God compels the man of God to take in hand the Word of God, and in love for God and His people, with a desire to build up the church, that man proclaims to the people of God, Thus saith the Lord our God. That's how God builds up His church. 
How is it that being built up contributes to peace? To peace. The faithful, careful, spirit-led ministry of the Word of God clarifies and distinguishes truth from error. It prescribes and encourages correct belief and practice for both the church and the believer. And when both of those things happen, the root cause of division and dissension and unrest is put away from the church. Peace in the church is possible when the ministry of the word is received and lived out in the comfort of the Holy Spirit and the fear of the Lord. That puts a huge onus on those who would claim or dare to stand behind a pulpit and proclaim the word of God. You think I don't worry about what I say on Sunday morning? Absolutely because I know I'll be held accountable for it on a far greater level than you who will sit and listen to it. Secondly, this. They were going on in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to take those two out of textual order, and you'll see why at the end. Notice again, verse 31 of Acts chapter 9, it says, The church enjoyed, sorry, the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on, in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Notice the word there going on. You may have in your Bible living or walking or conducting one's life. They were living and walking and going on in the new life in Christ. They were the church. They were the God's gathered people together. So how do we go on in this new life in Christ? In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7, Paul says, For we walk... Same word, by faith, not by sight. The new life in Christ is lived going on by faith. Trusting always in God for everything. We hear the ministry of the word and we combine what we hear with faith and we obey it at the same time trusting God for the strength to do what scripture calls us to do, trusting God to keep his promises. We walk by faith, not by sight. In Ephesians 5, verse 2, Paul again says that we're to walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. We're to live, to go on with that same motive of love for one another that Christ had. There's a verse to just kind of hit you right square in the forehead, isn't it? Walk in love. Just as, in the same way, that Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. Notice the nature of his offering. An offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. He was burnt up completely for God in love for us. Paul says, just as, meaning the same way that Christ loved us, being willing to and actually giving himself for us having that same love motive that Christ had, being willing and actually giving ourselves up for each other to build one another up, to encourage one another, to help us walk. That's the way we're to walk. That's the way we're to live. That's the way we're to go on in both the comfort of the Holy Spirit and the fear of the Lord. Notice Ephesians 5.15, he says, we're to be careful how we walk, not as unwise, but as wise. 
And of course, we all know the scripture in Psalm 111 and verse 10 that teaches us that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And we're going to look at that at the end. So we'll just leave that one there. In Galatians 5.16, Paul commands us to walk by the Spirit and you'll not carry out the desires of the flesh. In Acts 9.31, they were going on in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Now that word comfort is not so much the idea of relief from sorrow or pain, but rather it contains the idea of the Spirit's encouragement and support. It's His help and exhortation and consolation as well. Not too long ago, I can't remember where I saw it. It might have been a bumper sticker, it might have been a sign on the side of the road, but it went something like this. I can go for miles and miles more through difficulty and trouble on just a few words of encouragement. And that's the Spirit's ministry within us. And the Spirit's ministry of comfort and encouragement is not just to stand on the sidelines like a bunch of cheerleaders at a football game shouting, you can do it, yes you can, yes you can. There is a story behind that. Alistair Begg tells it going to a football game, and he's on the, in, the, in the crowd watching the game, and the home team is being pummeled and crushed by the visiting team. And the cheerleaders aside keep running back up and down, shouting, you can do it, yes, you can, yes, you can. And Alistair said, you could almost hear the football players shouting back, no, we can't, no, we can't. They were losing so badly. But the Spirit of God is not like a cheerleader like that. He doesn't just stand alongside And watch us walk this Christian life and shout, you can do it, you can, yes you can, keep going, don't give up. No, it's so much more, so much better now. This ministry of the Holy Spirit is to remain, to abide within us. And he says to us, I can do it through you, so yes, we can do it together. That's what it means to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. He is abiding within encouraging, exhorting, rebuking. We're going to see how in a minute. All those things to help us and keep us going through this Christian life to finish the race all the way to the end. And you got to pause and say how great, how kind is our God to us that we have indwelling each of us the spirit of the living God to encourage us as we go on in this new life in Christ. Our Lord Jesus The very beginning of Acts repeated to his 11 apostles his great promise of indwelling Holy Spirit. In John's gospel, just before his his, uh, death and resurrection, Jesus gave us details of just how the Holy Spirit would minister that comfort and encouragement and support. So, beloved, if you're here this morning and you're feeling the discouragement, you're feeling the weight of walking, going on as one of Christ's disciples and followers, then listen to how the Holy Spirit works to encourage you. Listen to how we can all, we can all go on in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 16, Jesus promised another helper that he may be with you forever. And in John 16, verse 7, he said, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. What an encouragement. What a great encouragement to know that it's to our advantage, not that Christ remains, but that God's Spirit has come. 
He will never leave us nor forsake us. There will never come a moment, brother and sister, that he will depart from you, leaving you to your own devices and enabling. The Spirit of God indwelling us is the fulfillment of Jesus' promise to never leave, never forsake. Brothers and sisters, you and I can go on, keep going in this Christian life, living and walking because Christ. Sorry, the Spirit of Christ is within us. In John 14, 26, Jesus said that same Holy Spirit will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. In John 16, 13, Jesus said, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak. What an encouragement. What a strengthening it is to know that He indwells each of us forever to teach us, to remind us of Jesus' words, to guide us into all truth that comes from the Father and the Son. By the way, the Spirit of God mostly works from what we have already heard, read, studied, and meditated on. All the way here this morning, I was listening to John Piper preaching on uh, Psalm 119. I think it was verses 7 or 8 or one of those ones. There. There's a lot of verses there. And he was talking about memorizing and the great power of memorizing Scripture. And you know what? The Spirit of God doesn't just suddenly flash into your mind something totally unique you never thought about before. But what he does do is he takes the Word of God which he inspired that we have heard, that we've read, that we've memorized and chewed over, and at just the right moment, that verse will come to mind. We've all been there, right? You're considering doing something that you really know that you should not be doing, and as you're just about to stretch out your hand to do it, that verse, that one verse that makes it impossible to do it without knowing you're entering into sin, pops into mind. Why? Because you've got a good memory? Well, you might have a good memory, but I don't. And I know for a fact that when that happens, the Spirit of God is at work bringing to our mind, reminding us of the things that we have read and studied. He's within us to keep teaching us, to keep reminding us of the truth that enables us to live this life and keep going on in the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, brothers and sisters, discouragement often comes from misunderstanding our situation and our circumstances. It comes when we we forget the great truths of Scripture. It comes when we forget the promises of God. But the Spirit of God abides within us to encourage us and exhort us to console us with those great biblical truths that shift our focus from self to God that shift our focus from our circumstances to the God who is sovereign over them all, to shift our focus from worldly distractions to godly occupations, from seeing through our own eyes and understanding to seeing our circumstances through God's eyes. The Spirit of God ministers that comfort by exhorting us to go on living the new life in Christ. But beloved, are we listening? How do we listen to the Spirit of God? Like the boy Samuel. Remember Samuel was told by Eli, when God calls you again, this is what you are to say. Speak, Lord, for your servant listens. When we come here, you probably heard, and maybe you've noticed how often I pray, Lord, give us ears to hear. 
Lord, we want to hear your voice. Lord, may my voice end at the pulpit and your voice speak into every heart. Why? Because I want us all to hear what the Spirit of God says to each of us through the Scriptures. We cry out to Him to speak to us as we sit under the preaching, as we open the Word of God, as we meditate and memorize and study Scripture. Going on in the comfort of the Holy Spirit requires listening to His ministry of His Word to our own hearts. How does that promote peace? Listen, when we're all listening to the Spirit's ministry of the Word to our own hearts and responding in obedience and faith, we will be drawn together into that unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so the church... In Acts 9.31, throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, enjoyed peace being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And the last one I want to look at is going on in the fear of the Lord. Why should we live in the fear of the Lord? What does it mean to live in the fear of the Lord? A scripture commands us to live, to go on in the fear of the Lord. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, at the end of a somewhat wasted life, he wrote in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13, when all has been heard. In other words, if you sum up all the learning of all the greatest thinkers in all the world and could write a summary statement underneath it, this is what Solomon says. The conclusion is, fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. Jesus himself said in Matthew 10, verse 28, Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to to kill the soul, but rather fear him, that's God, who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And living in the fear of God becomes with a promise of great blessing. In Psalm 25, verse 12, Who is the man who fears the Lord? He, that's God, will instruct him in the way he should choose. Psalm 31, verse 19, How great is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you. Brothers and sisters, what a blessing, what a hope. To live in the fear of the Lord comes with a great promise of God's blessing. So, question has to be asked, how do we go on in the fear of the Lord? Now, walking in the fear of the Lord, for me, the way I remember this, is three A's. Okay? Number one, living with a reverential awe, A number one, of God's person. Secondly, living in continual amazement at God's works. And thirdly, living in submission to God's authority, awe, amazement, and authority. It's just the way I remember. What does it mean to live in the fear of the Lord? So going on as Christians, these Christians were, is not to live in a slavish fear or a dread, like the fear of pain or punishment. Rather, it's like a small child who lives in a loving, hopeful, respectful fear of their father. A child sees their father as tall and strong and kind and gentle. He's able to do almost anything in their eyes. He only disciplines when necessary and that from love. That's the type of fear that's involved in fearing the Lord. But how do we live? How do we go on? How is it that those concepts come together in verse 31? They enjoyed peace going on in the fear of the Lord. How do they fit together? 
Well, let's look at those three A's and consider them in relation to being built up. As God's word is ministered by God's men, the church is brought to see through the eyes of faith who the person of God is. We see the glory of God's unchanging omnipotence and his goodness and his holiness and all those other great attributes. And it produces in us an awe of God, an awe for God. Why is it so critical that we understand? Why is the holiness of God so critical to understand? Why is the love of God so critical to understand? Because we want to know who God is. And knowing who God is, it produces in us an awe. We're simply wowed by who God is. To live going on in the fear of the Lord means to live in the continual awe of God's person. Secondly, as God's word is ministered, the whole church is brought up and built up, sorry, built up and brought to see and understand the works of God. We see the glory of God's creation, master craftsmanship. We see his work of providential care over all of his creation. We see his works of salvation accomplished by Christ. And we are brought to a speechless amazement. Brothers and sisters, there's something wrong with us. If the gospel of Christ, the story of your salvation doesn't move you to just stand back and kind of grasp for words and find numb because you're, you're so amazed at what God has done. Because we're in amazement of God's salvation, we gain a new desire, a new drive to know God, to sit at His feet and listen to Him, to sit in quiet prayer and commune with the living God. So to go on in the fear of the Lord is to live life continually amazed at God's works and in awe of God's person. Once again, last one, as God's man ministers God's word to God's people, the church must be brought to see the authority of God over all. We see through the eyes of faith that God is sovereign over all. He's the Lord of hosts, the Lord, the master, the owner of everything. He is in authority as king and God over all his creation. And seeing God's unassailable authority, we're brought to recognize that we're either in respectful submission to him or we're living in open rebellion against him. Listen, beloved. Living in the fear of the Lord as these Christians were is to live with a massive view, an immense perspective of God. We said last week that one of the greatest problems facing the church and society is biblical illiteracy, ignorance of Scripture. And that problem feeds another equally great, possibly even greater problem. We simply don't know who God is and what God has done. You ever have those moments, just, I think they call them Copernican moments, when something just hits you and it just changes you? I watched, I, I've told you a story before, I know I have. I'm watching a Q&A session with R.C. Sproul, one of my favorite theologians. And someone asked the question, how, the, the question was worded something like this, how could God be so harsh in his judgment of Adam and Eve at the Garden of Eden? 
And R.C. Sproul, who's known for his jocular personality, reared up in his chair and he literally roared across. What's that you say? How God is so harsh? And he turned around and looked at the audience. He said, that's what's wrong with God's people. We don't know who God is and we don't know who we are. In a minute, a split second, I should say, the whole congregation got absolutely quiet. He was angry. Not so much angry at the people, but angry at the lack of understanding of who God is. And brothers and sisters, I'll say it again. There is that great problem of biblical illiteracy, and it's feeding another great problem. We simply don't know who God is and what God has done. And being ignorant of that, we don't. We can't truly understand ourselves, our place, our responsibility, and our relationships. And I'd strongly suggest that one of the consistent causes of divisions and disputes and troubles within local churches is the failure of believers to go on in the fear of the Lord. And that failure is produced by ignorance of who God is and what God has done. I'm so glad that our service today began the way it did. The holiness of God. Us standing together as a church congregation and lifting up our voice and our hearts in in praise to God for He is holy. And brothers and sisters, I've said it before, I'll say it again. In my own life and ours together, our view of God is too small. Our great problem is we don't know who God is. And because our God God is too small in our perspective, ourselves become so much bigger. There's an unbalanced view of our work and our vocation, a misplaced priority on trivial pursuits. Brothers and sisters, do you and I want to live a life that's truly worth living? The highest, greatest possible level of existence I'm telling you, you won't find it in sports or beauty or education or business or entertainment. We will only find it as we live going on in the fear of the Lord. You can waste thousands of dollars and your whole life pursuing those other things. And the moment they close your eyes and pronounce your death, it's gone. All for nothing. If we would be such a people to be going on in the fear of the Lord, our view of God simply must increase. Our view of God must increase through the preaching and teaching, through one-on ministry of the Word, through which God will build up His church and bring peace. Brothers and sisters, the church in Acts 9.31 enjoyed peace from God. It was a gift of God to them. But the circumstances of that peace, were that they were being built up by God. They were going on in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and they were going on in the fear of the Lord. And the result of those circumstances was the church was being increased. God was causing it to grow. Brothers and sisters in Christ, as we go about our daily business, All I can do is urge us all. Don't don't misunderstand. I'm not preaching at you. That's not my goal. I'm preaching in my own heart. 
Because I know my own heart is far too easily satisfied with the trivial junk. Spend endless hours pursuing trivial things. Our view of God is too small. Brothers and sisters, let's be striving in the power of the Holy Spirit to build up one another through preaching, teaching, sharing, texting, emailing of God's word to each other. And I'll say right now, for those of you who send me texts and devotionals, I thank you for the bottom of my heart because I need to hear that encouragement just like everybody else. Brothers and sisters, be striving in the power of the Holy Spirit to listen to His comfort, His encouraging, His exhorting ministry that you might be living, walking, going on in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And be striving. Brothers and sisters, let's strive together in the power of the Holy Spirit to live, to walk the new life in Christ in the fear of of the living God. Amen. In a few moments, we're going to partake of the bread and the juice. Just excuse me for a second. As you come to remember the Lord... And partaking of that juice, a little piece of bread, be in awe, brothers and sisters. When you take that piece of bread, you see, what's a piece of bread? It's a simple, common, everyday, accessible to anyone, visual reminder of who God is in the person of Christ. He who was eternally the son of the living God without beginning or end took on human flesh and blood. And we see that in that little piece of bread. It reminds us of it. That he might become man, truly man and truly God. That he might taste death for every one of us on our behalf to reconcile us to God. As you pick up the little cup of juice and the little cup of bread, Be amazed at the works of God. There in your hands, those two little elements, simple, ordinary things, describe and declare to us the greatest work that God ever accomplished. Christ who created all things by His spoken word. Christ who sustains all things by the word of His power. Christ who entered into our creation has achieved the greatest work of all. He has, by His shed blood, by His body given for us, by His suffering and death and resurrection, He saved us to be His own people. Brothers and sisters, as you pick up that bread and pick up that juice to remember the Lord, be in submission to His authority over you. Christ as our Lord and Savior called and commanded us to believe on Him, to repent of sin, to live in spirit-filled obedience, to worship Him in spirit and in truth, and to remember Him. As you... I'm going to give you some time in a moment to just stop and think. I want you just to look, if you can, and see that cup and see that bread and remind yourself of who God is.
And I hope and I pray that the Spirit of God will put in your heart a deep sense of awe and amazement and wonder and submission to His authority as King of kings and Lord of lords. When you take this cup and this bread, you're proclaiming the Lord's death until He's come. You're declaring, in a sense, your submission to God in obedience to Him and your association, your participation in Him. I'm going to give you a few moments and then I'll come forward and give thanks for the bread and the ushers will come and pass out the elements.